0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. God gives the assurance that He'll be with us all the time, never leave us nor forsake us. But you know, there's something we learn from some of these things that we've experienced in the past uh, that can that can cause other problems in our life, and that's really what we're going to look at today. I asked you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90, and we're going, to, we're going to look at this psalm a little bit later on in the lesson, but I thought it would be advantageous if we would read this entire psalm and see in it what God has to say about our age, about, our, about aging. It's wonderful what God puts in the Word of God to be an assistant to us just when we need it. Amen? Psalm 90, beginning at verse 1, says this. Lord, thou hast been my dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Thou turnest men to destruction and sayest, return, ye children of men, for thousand years in thy sight, or but yesterday when it is past, and as a night, as a watch in the night, thou care, thou carriest thou care, thou them away as with a the flood. They are as sheep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth, and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. He's talking about our life here, and our lifespan, as you're going to see here in just a few moments. And in verse seven, uh, the psalmist, "By the way, this, this was a, a prayer of Moses. This was not a psalm written by David, but this is one of the psalms written by Moses. It's a prayer of Moses. And in verse 70 he says, "For thou art consumed; uh, for we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Uh, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins." In the, in, in the light of thy countenance. There's nothing secret before God. And when we sin and think we're nobody's watching, uh, I want you to know there is one watching. In fact, there's three persons called the Trinity watching. In verse 9, it says this. For all the days are passed away <clears throat> in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. How many is that? Threescore and ten. 70. Seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, that would be eighty, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Think of that. God considers, and Moses in his prayers, he was addressing God. You know, Moses lived a lot longer than any of us will ever live. I'm not exactly sure how old Moses was when he died. I think, this, I think we're told in the scriptures, but it doesn't. What? 120 years old. A what? 120. 120? 120 years, okay. I doubt if any of us will live that long, including Ron Reed. <laughs> but he's well on the way. <laughs> Now, why was, why, what was I going to say? I was, I, I was headed somewhere with that. Um, well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue on. <clears throat> verse 11. Who knows the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days. And this is the verse we're going to dwell on here in just a few moments. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it it repent thee concerning thy servant. The word repent there has the idea of changing. God, would you change your mind about how long we're gonna live and how you're gonna treat me? I don't know why Moses asked that question because I don't think God's gonna change his mind about that, but nevertheless, he asked God, he says, Lord, would you repent? Would you change your mind about that? And then verse fourteen, O oh, satisfies early in thy mercy, uh, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein thou hast seen, uh, thou, uh, we, have seen uh, we have seen evil let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Um, Life is short, and that's, that's really the point of this whole psalm, is to point out to us that life is not very long at all compared to God. And I think that was the point I was going to make a little while ago when I interrupted myself and lost my train of thought, <laughs> that uh, Moses lived 120 years, but <clears throat> in his lifetime, he considered it, uh, even the, life, the span of life that he had, to be very brief and very short. It's only 70 to 80 days, 80 years. And uh, that's the typical lifespan. I don't know if it was in this class or just recently I was talking with someone, it may have been. Uh, may have been at our fellowship uh, on Friday night that we were talking about this, but um, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought again. You'll have to forgive me. When you get my age, you'll understand. Some of you, some of you are already, already there, aren't you? <laughs> uh, Moses considered the, the, his lifespan as as long as, humanly speaking, we consider, he considered it to be a very short period of time. And when you take that and compare it with eternity, I mean the rest of eternity, we're, we're going to live somewhere forever. I know you know that. Uh, this old flesh is going to die uh, unless the Lord comes back before it does. But we're going to live somewhere forever. And... Uh, and uh, if you know Christ is your Savior, and I believe, I believe I'm speaking to the choir in that respect today, uh, we're going to live forever in heaven with the Lord. And, uh, and so when you compare this life that God has given us here on earth, it's just a breeze compared to eternity, to the length of time we have to live with God. Where well, we're talking today, this is Roman numeral two in your outline, by the way, uh, I didn't have any, any additional uh, copies of this printed this week, so I hope we had enough to go around this morning, and uh, I hope you brought yours back from last week, Uh if not, then maybe you can share with somebody nearby, but this is the second point, the second major point, uh, self-centeredness, self-centeredness. And so, lying beyond, uh, lying, uh, lying behind much of, of what we uh, what we've been saying about the universal problems that we have, um, lying, lying, excuse me, lying behind much of what we've seen, uh, saying uh, what we've been saying about the universal problem, um, that uh, that if it's not corrected. Uh, This problem of self-centeredness may be greatly uh, expanded uh, and intensified as we age. Uh, You may say, well, preacher, why is that? Well, there's some good reasons for it, and we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments as well. But every sin, when you boil it down, has at least some element of self-centeredness in it. You name the sin, and you can look back to uh, the fact that we're self-centered. Uh, we want it for ourselves, you know. And uh, some of us have been very used to that, of having our way, and, have, and not having it God's way, but having it our way. And at the, at the base of that, uh, at the base of sin, is that problem right there. If we fail to love God with all of our hearts, it's because we've reserved some part of our heart for ourselves. The same thing is true in our relationship to our neighbor. If we, if we don't love our neighbor as we ought to, uh, if we don't love our neighbor like we do ourselves, it means that we have reserved some of our heart, some of our self for ourselves instead of giving ourselves to our neighbor. And uh, so self-centeredness is a real, it's a serious problem. We all have it. We all have a tendency. It's a part of our human nature. We were born with that tendency. But the truth is that many times in our elderly years, when we get up in years, it can be greatly intensified. And uh, we're going to see some consequences of that here in just a, a little bit. So if we continue to love ourselves better than we love our neighbors, we really have a serious problem. So why can aging intensify this problem? That's a good question. That's letter A in your outline. Why can aging intensify this problem? Aging can make it worse because aloneness and the aches and pains that we suffer and sometimes more serious illnesses as well as all the other losses that we've been talking about we've called to our attention here tend to direct our focus on on what is happening to ourselves. And um, this is a case of the squeaky wheel getting the grease. You know, the wheel squeaks. We talk about our aches and pains. We're drawing attention to ourselves rather than focusing on something, probably something better than we ought to focus than we ought to focus on. If we're not involved in some meaningful, fruitful ministry, if we're not socializing with other Christians while well, we do that, and if we have not learned to live happily in the presence of our Lord, who, is there, who else is there to focus on? It's very easy. If we, if we don't direct our attention to Christ, if we don't have a heart for God and live for God and keep our eyes fixed on Him, who else are we going to put our eyes on? Number one. Number one. And... uh when you live alone, uh, you lose a lot of friends. Uh, I made this statement recently to somebody, you know, all my friends are dying off. And, uh, but that, that comes with aging. Mm-hmm. We lose friends. We lose family members. Uh, we lose uh, life's partners, our spouses. Thank God, uh, several of us here, many of us here have not experienced that. Some have. And uh, so we lose a lot of things. but <clears throat> And when all of that happens, we begin to think about number one. We start getting the doctor bills and the doctor says, you've got cancer or uh, your arthritis is getting worse or uh, when, when we uh, check those prescriptions and the cost of all, them, you know, we start thinking about ourselves a lot. And so selfishness Self-centeredness can become a real serious problem uh, when we get to the age that we are. And so letter B is how can we recognize this problem? And that's a good question. So number one under B is this. uh, The person is focused on himself. Here's a good question. It's in your notes. One obvious way to to gauge uh, self centered is to ask yourself, how much of my conversation with others is about me? Think about that for a little while. When you're engaged in conversation about yourself, how much time do you take up telling others about your aches and pains? If a shut-in has no other regular contacts, and he fails, fails to keep up with what's going on in the world, his world begins to, shake, uh, to to shrink right into the space where he lives. That's why a few lessons ago, one of the points was uh, for a, an older person to keep in contact, to read, and to know what's going on around us. I, I've heard older people say, I don't watch the news anymore. I don't want to know what's going on in the world. Well, I think we need to know what's going on in the world. That doesn't mean you have to spend 24-7 watching Fox News uh, or any news, for that matter. But we want to know what's going on in the world because if, we, if we're not aware of our surroundings, if we don't make contacts around us and, and, keep, um, and keep relationships around us other than in the little area where we live, uh, we're just going to be focused on ourselves all the time. And it becomes a problem when we get a little older because we're ten we tend to focus on ourselves. Um, you can see this pretty clearly in a person who's been in the hospital for a long time or or at least he's shut in uh, for a bedridden person, every wrinkle in the sheet becomes a mountain to him. Have you ever noticed that if you've visited people that have been shut in for a while they're, they're bedridden perhaps they uh, uh, every little wrinkle on their sheet becomes bedridden. One of the illustrations I give here is this, that, that. Um, um, let me find it so I can read it. Uh, if all that he's living for is his self, even the slightest delay in, liver- in delivering the next meal may incite an unkind word to the one who finally delivers it. We get impatient. You know, we want it now. It's supposed to have been here. It should have been here half hour ago. I'm hungry. And finally, the nurse brings it in and, and you have a little uh, caustic word for, with the nurse about it, you know. How come I wasn't here half hour ago? Well, most nurses are pretty gracious enough to just say, well, I'm glad I'm able to bring it now, okay? Well, All of these things may characterize unfaithful Christians and and unbelievers, but Christians are still not entirely sanctified and we're far from it. Uh, They're subject to self-interest and self-centeredness, and if one's lifestyle has been uh, been centered on self, uh, the fact will be exaggerated in old age. Now here's an important point. I, I wrote this because this is, uh, this is, uh, uh, been, I've been sensitive about this for some time. We have to keep in mind that never, not everyone who asks how you're doing is actually asking for a, a medical report. <laughs> you know, that's a common statement. Say, how you doing? You know what it is? Just a friendly greeting. They're not asking you to tell them your medical history or how, you, or how things are currently at the, to, at the present time. You know why? Because sometimes it takes at least a half hour for some people to tell you their medical history. I learned a long time ago that there are certain people that you don't greet like that. Uh, because if you ask them how they're doing, they're going to tell you. And they're going to give you all, they're going to tell you all the medications they're on, the prescriptions and how much they cost. They're going to tell you about every ache and pain they've ever had or or are experiencing right now and you're going to have to stand there and take it. So sometimes you learn who you can greet like that and who you can't. I had a lady in our church when I pastored in Indianapolis that I, I learned quickly that I never asked her how she was doing and she wasn't that old. I was standing on the back step of the church one night, or one afternoon, I think it was, I can remember. Actually, I was getting ready to leave the church because I had to, I was in a, I was focused on something and had to get somewhere. And she was coming and I said, and I called her name, I said, how you doing? Well, pastor, and for the next half hour, I stood there and listened to her give me her medical report. And so I made a mental note, don't you ever, ever ask that lady again how she's doing. (laughs) You know. And so as far as I can remember, I never did. I used some other kind of kind uh, greeting, you know, to her. But you have to remind, you have to, now there's some people that when they ask you how you're doing, you know, they really do, are concerned and they want to know how you're doing. But they don't want a half hour medical report, you know. How are you doing? You know, and there are some times when I ask that question that I am sincere about how are you doing. But there are other times it's just a great, how you doing? Well, preacher, let me tell you, you know. And I think, oh, no. (laughs) I'm going to miss my appointment. (laughs) Well, okay, number two. One way you can tell is a. uh, recognize the problem is the person is focused on himself. But then number two, a person wallows in self-pity. Woe is me. And that's where I got that woe is me from. You know, woe is me. Along with all self-focus comes this self-pity. And so this is another sign of, of major self-centeredness. If a person is always whining, and wondering why God did this to me, why now? Why this? And, um, and, and he's not interested in a biblical response to your question. You can pretty rel- be relatively sure that he's self-centered, and that self-centered nature is at work. Now, you know, you can give them a Bible reason for why God is doing this and so on. Uh, but they're not interested in that. And so you may help them with a verse of scripture, but, uh, but they still complain. They're still centered in themselves and focused on themselves. Now that doesn't mean, folks, if I ask you how you're doing, that I don't want you to tell me how you're doing. But please do it in five minutes or less, okay? <laughs> in fact, one minute or less would be sufficient. <laughs> I can get mean sometimes. Forgive me. Okay. Self pity. All right. Letter C. Why do we have the problem? Uh, Here's and this is and this is a good response to that question. We have to contend with the fact that an entire Generation, our generation, and you see that footnote there, uh, that this generation is now the older set of the 21st century. That's us. Uh, We have to contend with the fact that an entire generation has grown up under teaching focused on self-love, self-esteem, and self-worth. I can remember that in my earlier years, I kept hearing all of these, and some of these were so-called Christian psychiatrists like, uh, um, not James Dobson, the other one. Can you help me out with that? You can, okay. Kept emphasizing, self-esteem, self-esteem. You gotta gotta have self-esteem. I heard that until I was sick of hearing the term, self-esteem, and um, this is an unbiblical view. It is not a good view. This unbiblical viewpoint has been accepted into the Christian church by many believers and propagated by some of his most outstanding personalities. Now let's read the footnote there, number, footnote number four. I think you've got this in your notes, don't you? A footnote there? Yes. All right, let me just read it for you. Popular pseudo-positive thinkers like Norman Vincent Peale and Robert H. Schuler, both of these men are dead now, with their incessant preaching on the power of positive thinking filled with self-love and everything is okay, and never mentioning man's sin problem has fueled self-centeredness in the generation that has now reached the aging years. And Joel Osteen, a popular megachurch pastor in Houston, Texas, and a TV evangelist, is their modern-day counterpoint. If you watch Joel Olstein, my recommendation, my recommendation to you is to turn him off. Joel Olstein has nothing biblical or very little biblical to say to anybody. And yet, if you watch him, you'll notice his church is a mega church. I mean, they have thousands of people there. When the people who were taught these self-love doctrines grew old, which is now, and when everything fails to go their way, that is, they're no longer considered to be number one, uh, they have a self-pity tantrum. Uh, they're They're let down when they're told that Christ should be number one, not them. And great damage always results in bringing the world's philosophies and practices into the church, and we see that today in the world of music, and I don't don't want to go there because that's not the subject of our lesson today, but uh, one of the greatest, one of the more modern fads that we see creeping into the church is rock music, which doesn't exalt Christ, they say it's worship music, it doesn't exalt Christ. They repeat the same words over and over and over and over again, and usually it has nothing to do with the character of God but about your feelings, how you feel toward God. Worship is worshiping the character of God and recognizing who God is, not who we are. And much of the worship that uh, is going on today in some of these big mega churches is how I feel toward God. and, uh, and, and not what God is. If you're gonna worship something, you have to respect who that person is. And you're worshiping that person, not yourself. When you talk about yourself and how you feel uh, toward anything, you're talking about yourself. You're not worshiping God. And yet they have so-called worship leaders up there leading the singing and leading the worship service. And if you listen to some of those preachers, they never mention sin. It's all positive. And uh, very very rarely do they mention sin and the consequences of sin and uh, the fact of hell. You never hear any of those mega preachers. You'll never hear Joel Olstein preach a message on hell. He may say the word in his message once in a while, but he never preaches on hell and the consequences of sin. It's always, ah, God wants you to be happy today. (laughs) You'll have to pardon my, my brown teeth. I drink coffee. Okay, where am I? Okay. There are people who have been told that they're really something. They've been led to believe that they're God's gift to the world. From childhood they've been driven around in automobiles with bumper stickers saying, "My child is terrific." And they believe that lie. Now, we think our children are terrific, but they're sinners. And uh and they're not the latest thing since uh, peanut butter, okay. Uh, they need to be trained, they need to, they need to be humbled yes, somewhat. Not mistreated. But they need to be taught the facts of life. And not the fact that they're better than everybody else's kids, you see. Yeah. That's a mistake that we make as parents sometimes is teaching our, our kids are better than the neighbor's kids. No, they're the same sinful thing. They're made out of the same sinful stuff. Well, they are, whether their parents are rich or poor, we're all the same, you see. And that's why God says, that's why the Bible teaches us to love your neighbor like you, like, like you love yourself and so on, okay. Uh, they've been taught... The sinister philosophy of Abraham Maslow. Anybody ever heard that guy's name? Well, let me tell you who he is, and it's in a footnote here. But uh, uh, and here's what it, here's basically what his teaching is all about. Unless others love you first, you can't. Uh, it's incapable for you of loving others. And here's here's who he is. Abraham uh, Harold Maslow was an English psychologist who was best known for his creating Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a theory of psychology, psychological health predicted, uh, uh, predicated on fulfilling innate human needs. And he cited the two highest human needs as self-esteem and self-actualization. Uh, In other words, uh, some people think more highly of themselves than they ought to. Basically what it uh, draws, draws down to. But Maslow's uh, philosophy is being taught in our public schools, and uh, that's, what, uh, that's what your kids are learning. That's what our kids learned in public schools, and uh, we learned a little bit of it ourselves. We didn't learn the name, but that's, but that's where it all came from. And uh, so anyway, this devilish philosophy of life does nothing to focus a person's attention on. Uh, excuse me, does, does nothing but focus a person's attention on themselves. We can only imagine what such people will be like in, in old age, and we're there, when everything that we, we've tried to live by no longer applies to us. And that, let, that brings us to letter D. What can result from this problem? What can result from the problem? Self-centeredness can easily happen to people when they drift in their relationship with the Lord. Unless we recognize our need to actively develop a heart of love for God and for others, we will drift into sin. You say, preacher, I've lived for God for 80 some years. But you realize that when you get to our age, it's easy to drift away from God get so focused on ourselves, so focused on our needs, so focused on the things that we've lost in life as a, as a result of our old age. And we, we talked about some of those losses in our first lesson, if you remember. And when our friends begin to die off and our spouses leave us and go to heaven and, and so on, it's so easy for us to drift, drift away from God. It's so easy for us to say, why me, God? Why are you doing this to me? Well, we have to come to grips with the idea that the stage of life that you and I are going through right now is a part of life. It's a part of God's plan for preparing us to go to heaven. And when we start looking at this stage of life in that light, and I believe that that's what Moses was doing here as we read Psalm 90, that he was looking at the stage of life, he was in a a stage of life now where he realized that he needed a a closer relationship with the Lord probably than he ever did in any other stage of his life. And you and I do too, so that we don't drift in our spiritual relationship, in our walk with the Lord. That's That's why it's so important for us not to use that old cliche, well, let the younger people do it. There's plenty for the younger people to do, and for us to and for us to have our things to do as well. God did not intend us to grow old and sit on the shelf. Now we're limited in what we can do, and we know that. We can't do with the same zeal and uh, uh, that we used to be able to do things. It takes us longer to do things than we used to used to be able to do them, and all that sort of thing, and. We don't have the strength that we used to have, but there are some things, but we still have strength. And there still are some things that we can do, and so we should use the abilities that God still has given us to serve Him, to be active, as active as we can. It's not as much activity as we used to experience, but to be as active as we can, both mentally and physically and still do the things that God allows us to be able to do as we're going through this stage of life where he's preparing us for heaven. That's where we are, folks. You know, I remember... Uh, what was his name? He used to be a missionary with Baptist Mid-Missions. We had him. He's been here in our pulpit several times, so he's with the lord now but uh, he was here uh, one time for a meeting and uh, and he came to the senior class i'll think of his name here in a minute he, he was he came to the senior sunday school class and when he got in the pulpit he says they put me in the getting ready to die class and everybody laughed but you know there's some truth to that now he he meant it for a joke and everybody did la- laugh as a joke But we're getting ready to die, folks. Let's face it. We're getting ready to die. Now it's going to take... (laughs) I I didn't hear that, but it probably came from Ron Reed. (laughs) Well, you know, let's laugh about it. Let's enjoy the rest of the life that God's given us, you know. Let's just enjoy, let's enjoy it. Let's laugh about it. It's a stage of life that's inevitable. And uh, we, we might as well just face it and talk about it and enjoy it. I get up in the morning and say, thank God I got some aches and pains, but, but I got some things I'm going to be able to do today. Amen? Amen. Let's get a positive look. Here goes this positive thinking thing. (laughs) See, I've been tainted with it too. But let's have a positive look about it, you know? Laugh about your age. And uh, I've never been ashamed to tell anybody how old I am. Uh, I thank God for it. I thank God for the years he's given me. And uh, now some of you ladies don't want to say how old you are. That's fine. That's okay. That's not a problem. Just keep it a secret. We all know how old you are anyway. (laughs) We know you're old. (laughs) You can't hide that. (laughs) And uh, anyway... um, I forget where I am in my notes here. Let me, let me try to figure it out. Uh, uh, what can result from this problem? I think that's where I am. Um, uh, we can get away from God. That, that's what I was talking about. We can get away from God if we're not careful in our relationship with God. I th- that's, so, that's why it's so important for us to be together in church. We find strength as we meet together, amen? And uh, <clears throat> I don't want to be mean or unkind to anybody, but, but I think this pandemic that we've gone through, that the devil used that amen. to get some people out of church that should be in church right now. And, and those of you who are watching by live stream, when I say something like that, don't take offense at, at it, okay? I know and I realize that there are people watching by live stream that cannot come to church, um, and, and 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 some people get to that place, and I thank God that we're able to provide the live stream. By the way, I I visited the McGees on Thursday night. You know, Pat McGee fell and broke her neck, and uh, she's doing fine. But I wonderful I had a wonderful visit with them, and they, and and their comment to me was. Pastor, we really appreciate the live stream. And uh, she said, uh, we, we, they particularly mentioned some of the congregational shots we, uh, we, we do because we, we look for people <laughs> uh, and when, uh, when we kind of pan the congregation once in a while. We didn't shoot the congregation during the pandemic because uh, we weren't spaced as we were supposed to be and we didn't want the authorities to come on us. But we're over that, and we do take shots of the congregation. So uh, there's a possibility that during the service, you may be on the air, folks. So look like you're enjoying the service, okay? (laughs) Don't go to sleep, because we look for people that are asleep and put them on the air. (laughs) No, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. We don't do that. We don't do that. All right. But um, uh, but I, I don't mean offense to anybody uh, when I make statements like I don't mean offense to anybody that 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 I know that they can't get out. But I, I appreciated the comments that, that uh, Jim and Pat made about uh, the live stream and how how vital a ministry that is to them. They watch every service morning, evening, Sunday school, and they're watching right now. I'm sure. Okay. Letter E, what's the remedy for the problem? That's where Psalm 90 comes in. We read that. Verse 12 is one of the the verses that we should focus on here uh, at this point. Um, What is the remedy for this problem of selfness, self-centeredness? First of all, we have to recognize that life is short. And I think uh, Moses, in this prayer, in Psalm 90, hits on that several times throughout the psalm, but particularly here in verse 12. And let's just read it again. He says, so teach me to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach me to number my days, Moses says. And there are several things that we can take from that statement. And I'm going to read a quote here that's not in your notes um, in just a few moments that uh, that will help us with that. But um, life is short. And um, it gives us us the answer to self-centeredness and so many other problems that we've faced during the course of our life. We have to accept the fact that we have just so long a time to live, and there's so much wisdom to be gained during this lifespan that we had. In the verse 10, we notice that the, that the average lifespan is between 80, 70 and 80 years. And God's been so gracious to give several of us, numbers of us in our class, years beyond that expected lifespan. And... Uh, and I'm not joking, Ron, at this point. God has been so good to you to allow you to live at least 10 years so far over that, over that period of lifespan. And Cherry, same with you and some of the others. But he's given me four years over that. I praise God for that. And, uh, and we should thank God for, for the extended years that he's given us over the expectancy of our life. You know, when Moses wrote this, the average lifespan was much longer than it is right now. And yet he said that the average lifespan is from 70 to 80 years. And, uh, but life is short. And then secondly in this verse, verse 12, the last part of it, we're to live by the wisdom of God, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Wisdom. If we fail to get wisdom and live by it, we face eternity with few treasures that are laid up in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, it tells us there that we're lay up treasures in heaven. And if we don't cultivate a love for God and for others, we're wasting our time here on earth. That's a powerful statement. If we don't cultivate our love for God and our love for each other, We're wasting the time that God has given us here. So if that be the case, then we need to wake up. Moses is realistic as he he makes his plea to God. He recognizes that we're all sinners. We live under the domination of a curse as we prod through this brief span of life. And that's why he exhorts us to number our days. He calls on God to help him do so. And uh, 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 just, as, just as we ought to, the idea of numbering our days is that we make the most of them. We do what, he, what we can with the days that God has given to us. And in the New Testament, Paul reminds us that we should be redeeming the time because the days are evil. Applying our hearts to wisdom means learning to live by it. Wisdom in the Bible is the practical expression of living our life by the truth of God. I have two things here that are that they're not in your notes, but I, I want to read them to you. Both of these came from, uh, from the Treasury of David, which is uh, Charles Spurgeon's commentary on the Psalms. The first one is this, uh, the statement, apply your hearts to wisdom. Sir Thomas Smith, who was a secretary to Queen Elizabeth, uh, some months before he died, made this statement. that it was of great pity that men knew not uh, knew not to what end they were born in this world until they were ready to go out of it. And the, and the truth is that many of us really don't come to the realization of why God put us here until he's ready to take us, you know. And then the, the other quote is this, uh, so teach us to number our days. And the Spurgeon quotes of, a preacher by the name of Henry Smith I have no idea who Henry Smith is uh, Spurgeon quoted him and so but let me read what he said because I think it's good he said this Henry Smith said this five things I note in these words the words teach me to number my days first he said that death is a haven for every man whether he sit in the throne or keep in a cottage at least he He must not. At last, he must knock at death's door, as all the all his fathers had done before him. Secondly, that man's time is set, and his bounds appointed, which he cannot pass. No more than the Egyptians could pass the sea, and therefore Moses saith, "Teach me to number our days, as though there were a number of our days." Thirdly, that our days be few. that That our days are few as though we were sent into this world, but to see the world. In other words, he's saying our days are so few that it's just like God sent us here just to kind of look around. Basically is what he's saying. And therefore Moses, speaking of our life, speaks of days, not as years, or months, or of weeks, but teaches to number our days, showing that it's it's an easy thing even for a man to number his days that they are few. Fourthly, he says, um, the aptness of man to forget death rather than anything else. And therefore, Moses prayed, prayed the Lord to teach him to number his days as though they were still slipping out of his mind. Lastly, that to remember how short a time we have to live. Uh, will make us ap- will make us apply our hearts to do good things, and uh, so there are several things here. The next part of this uh, uh, of your notes, there that note you have, all of that down to the con- conclusion, is how you can deal with somebody else, and uh, a family family member or a friend that's caught up in self-centeredness. I want you to read that. There's some things in there that will be applicable to you as well, that will help you as well. But it's kind of telling us how we can deal with a family member that's going through this this period of things if we have somebody like that or a friend. And so take your time to read that, and and I will not take the time to read it today. But let's go to the conclusion and take a look here at what we said in the conclusion of our notes. Another matter that should be raised it concerns all people, but especially those who, who, use, uh, who, who, are used to, who are used to expecting others to do things for them. And sometimes we get to the point in our life where we kind of expect other people to do things, you know, for us. Uh, and I think there's some good advice here. It is, a pro- it is the problem of self-motivation. We have to be self-motivated to do things. And that's a ten, it's a tendency when we get to our age not to be motivated to do anything, but sit, sit, just sit, you know, watch the TV or, or do something else. Self-motivation is an important thing. In this case, self-concern is appropriate. We can be concerned about ourselves at this point. Uh, in order to not lead a self-centered, dependent life, one must reach the place where he has learned to motivate himself. Another word that doesn't quite equate, but is closely associated with self-motivation is personal responsibility. To many older people, um, uh, to, many older, to many older people wanna be waited on. Um, self-centered people will rely on others to do things for them that they can do for themselves. There can be a great deal of manipulation involved here. Uh, this attitude is a sharp contrast to Galatians 5, where among where among the fruit of the Spirit is self-control or temperance. Not only must we resign ourselves in ourselves in, but also we are to have such a grasp on ourselves as a result of the Spirit's sanctifying work that we are able to lead a life that is dependent completely on God. And we get to the place where we've got to depend on the Lord. The church is there to help, of course. Brothers and sisters are supposed to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2, but only in order to enable others to bear their own burdens, Galatians 6.5. The direction and the manner in which we, we run should not be turned over to someone else, if it's if it's at all possible for us to assume normal responsibilities for ourselves that then is our task to get up and running uh, to get up and running on our own uh it's it's possible that that we hold it's it's possible it is important it's important that we hold the course Uh, that we hold the course for such a finish uh, to finish the race. This last lap of the race may well be the most important lap. Father, teach us the paths of life. Teach us your ways. Teach us, God, how to be more reliant and dependent on you. I pray, God, that you will help us, Lord, even in the lonely times when we are alone, to not be alone because you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us how not to be so self-centered that we don't care about anyone else, especially you. But help us, God, to keep our eyes fixed firmly upon thee, we pray in Jesus' name. and make him known to others.